You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Andrew Harwell, a senior editor at HarperCollins Children's Books, and he focuses on middle grade and young adult fiction. At Harper, Andrew has had the privilege of working with such genius authors as Dan Gutman, Heather Brewer, J. Scott Savage, and Noelle Stevenson, who we're going to talk a little bit about more in detail in a minute. Um, Andrew is a graduate of the University of Chicago. He's a piano player, a gamer, and a film fanatic. And equally as important, he was recently named a Star Watch Superstar by Publishers Weekly, and he joins me today in our studio. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Anna Maria. I'm happy to be here. What is the Publishers Weekly Star Watch <laughs> Award. You know, it's the second year they've done this program, and I was nominated by my editorial director, Rosemary. Essentially, it's a program in conjunction with the Frankfurt Book Fair, where they're picking one person from American publishing, one person from China, one person um, from England, and we're all going to the Frankfurt Book Fair for a few panels and meetings. Oh, right. So, um, you'll, so, so I'll you'll be in attendance there. at Frankfurt. Yep. Oh, that's really and cool. Have you done that before? I have not. I studied German in college, and I, so I've been to Germany, but I have not been to the Frankfurt Book Fair, and I'm very excited. There were some pull quotes from your acceptance speech that I thought was really interesting, and you said uh, about book publishing that diversity is not a trend it's the future and it's one that publishing will have to work very hard to be sure that we're a part of yeah absolutely I think that's a really important statement and what are your thoughts on on what you can be doing what I can be doing as both members so members of the community and and sort of those even readers that are listening like what what can be done to affect this do you think in my role as an acquiring editor I'm it's certainly making it a point to You'd be reading diversely in my spare time to be, you know, considering manuscripts from marginalized authors, writers of color, um, writers whose perspectives differ from mine. You know, I'm, I'm giving those manuscript submissions a little bit extra attention. And also as a hiring manager, yeah. you know, at Harper, I, I have an intern usually once a season. Um, I have an editorial assistant. And so, you know, I think... I think we're all, especially in the children's book community, I don't think I can speak for the adult side as, as well, but in the children's same, book, yeah. you know, we're, we all are shining a spotlight and recognizing that we need to be as inclusive, be as open to perspectives other than our own yeah. as we can be when we're bringing in manuscripts and, and other and staff. And talent. Yeah. So you, you grew up in Georgia. Where in Georgia? I did. I grew up in Noonan, Georgia, which is 30 miles south of Atlanta. And now feels like a suburb of Atlanta when yeah, I go home. But at the exactly. time, kind of felt like a small town. Yeah. Yeah. And then you took yourself to the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And you studied German. But I understand that you, to sort of escape the pressure of studying German at U of Chicago, <laughs> you hung out at, what was it, 57th Street Books? Yeah, 57th Street Books. They had a wonderful children's and young adult section. And that was right when, you know, there were starting to be young adult sections yes, in the bookstore. exactly. Um, and they just had a really well curated one. So every single book I, you know, picked up had a staff pick, uh, Shelf Talker, just that's where I discovered Francesca Leah Block. That's where I discovered oh, yeah. David Levithan's books. Are they still there? Um, they are still there. Oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. There were there were a number of great um, small bookstores in Hyde Park where the yeah. campus was, and then in Chicago too. But that was my favorite. 
So you started reading that way, then you you went over to Germany, and you continued reading that way, even over there, correct? Is that I right? did, I did. I, I remember reading Harry Potter in German and picking up a lot of colloquialisms that way, <laughs> you know, and, and what was so funny about the children's bookstores in Germany at the time, and I'm be curious to see if it's still the case when I go to Frankfurt, but they had the boy books, the girl books, and the horse books. <laughs> there oh were gosh, like three so sections funny? of every store I walked into, and there were a lot of horse oh books. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I, let's hope that's really not the same. <laughs> yeah, <thing>. I'm hoping <laughs> for grass. I hope they've they've, yeah, yeah. they've gone beyond that. Yeah. So then you realize, oh, this makes me really happy. So maybe I'll try to get a gig doing this. Between my junior and senior year at Chicago, I just applied to all the children's publishing internships that were available, and ended up at Penguin um, and started back in the same imprint where I'd interned the day after graduation, pretty much. Yeah, and I like I like some of the quotes you have that I read about the editing process. I like one that is very, it's very succinct that you say that editing is a conversation and never just a red pen. Yeah, and I tell my authors that too when, when they're considering working with me. Um, you know, I will ask questions, I will make points, but I l- like nothing more than when an author comes back to me and says, I like that suggestion, but here's a slightly different way that I'd like to address that comment. You know, that's a great question, but actually the reason why that was important to me was X, so I'd like to keep it in some way through Y, you know. So this reminds me, my my sister is an elementary school teacher, and I used to visit her classroom once a year all the time. And she would have a writing circle for first graders, and she, we would gather, and she would say, okay, we're going to read and we're going to listen. And then after the person reads, you can tell them one thing you liked, one thing you didn't like, and then you get to ask a question. Mm. I was an agent representing um, screenwriters and television writers, and I often found that I would ask the question, what were you trying to do there? Yeah. And the answer would be so interesting. And, and, and oftentimes it was just that they hadn't quite gotten there when in the word. And when they told you that, you said, oh, okay, great. You got this far in achieving that. And they would come back and send it back to you. And when they achieved it, it really felt good, yeah. right? And I love, too, that it starts with something that you like because I think it's easy to forget as an editor when you're, you know, trying to focus on what can be improved. Sometimes when you tell an author, I loved how you achieved this in your writing, they're not even aware that they've achieved that, or they're not even aware that they're carrying over a theme from one book to the next book. And when you say, I love the way that you, you know, incorporated this theme again, they go, oh, you're right. That is something I'm doing. And you also say that you really enjoy helping authors discover new things about their own writing, which I guess is what you basically Mm -hmm. just said Mm -hmm. again. Now, you're an author as well. So you published a book called The Spider Ring. In January 2015. Who was the publisher? I can't remember. So that was Scholastic and David Levithan, whose books I was reading in college, ended up being my editor. So it was, yeah, pretty wonderful experience. Wow, that's fascinating. All right, so what did you discover in that process? Yeah, I think it I think it really helped to remind me what I have to tell my authors as an editor that is not intuitive. You know, there are so many meetings that we have in-house where we're talking, you know. whether it's a marketing meeting or a cover meeting, there are so many discussions we're having about an author's book. And it might be two months that an author, if I don't tell them, hey, guess what? We were discussing your book again today in a preliminary marketing meeting. They just think, you know, two months have gone by and And what's happening with their book. Nobody was even thinking about that. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes easier for us when an author is, you know, in the Midwest or somewhere far away from New York to remember, oh, I need to tell them this date is coming up. Um, But I learned as an author, even in New York, (laughs) even though I know what's happening in publishing, it was the same thing where I kept finding myself wondering like yeah, I that silence was driving you crazy. Yeah, exactly. So it so it was a nice reminder to me as an editor and I think I did, you know, just instantly start 
you know, doubling the emails I was sending to authors going, by the way, this, this indie bookseller loved your book yes. um, and plans on doing a promotion for it, you know. Um, anytime you have a chance to just reach out to that constant communication, um, I'm taking it now. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what you learned as an editor. Mm-hmm. But in the process, did you discover something about yourself as a writer? I, I will say that I discovered, and it's again, you know, speaking to me as an editor, but also to me as a writer, just how important family dynamics to me are in middle grade and young adult fiction, oh, how important, okay. you know, what's going on in a middle grade novel, what's going on with the parents. And I think sometimes oh. we, when we think of a middle grade novel, you think of the 12-year-old character and maybe trying to get the parents off the, off the stage. stage as quickly as possible. Yeah. But for me when you have that sense of like what's going on, you know, behind closed doors with the parents, it just ends up being a much richer, more alive book. And I found myself focusing on that a lot in my book and then realizing that it was true of a lot of the books on my list as an editor too. There's another quote. You said that you love novels that take risks and play for keeps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And the, the book I was editing this morning, I feel like is the perfect example of that. It's something on my, on my fall 17 list. Yeah. Um, where it, did, it just does so many things that I know I haven't seen before in a middle grade novel and things that make me go, can a writer get away with this in a middle grade novel? But I would always rather ask that question and yes, have exactly. that problem. Yeah. Now, t- stop for a moment and, and sort of define middle grade for those oh, who Oh, yeah, not be- absolutely. So middle grade, we, t- we typically think are for the readers who are 8 to 12 years old. Um, you know, there used to be this category called upper middle grade that was maybe 10 to 14 um, but because Barnes and Nobles pr- primarily have a teen section in one part of the bookstore and then a middle grade section in another part of the bookstore, they really like when the books have that clear division. Either it's for eight to twelve year olds, or it's for you know thirteen and up and or teen. It's for horses. <laughs> or it's for horses exactly. And that's very clear for them. They know where to shelter. <laughs> so that has driven so much in the way about. Uh, around how you work and Absolutely. how you read Absolutely. and what you're able to acquire and edit and, and because you have to think about where is the shelf mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it will eventually end up on. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about Noelle Stevenson yeah. and your relationship and your work with her. So let's talk about Nimona. Can you please describe Nimona? So Nimona is a full-color graphic novel about a young shapeshifter who on page one, panel one, just shows up at the doorstep of this fantasy kingdom's resident villain, and she says, I want to be your sidekick. And he says, I didn't send for a sidekick. (laughs) And she says, you must have forgotten that you sent for a sidekick. And that sort of becomes the start of this reluctant mentor-mentee relationship where Ballister has been locked in this power struggle in this kingdom for many years with the resident hero, um, Sir Ambrosius Goldenloin. Um, and we get the sense that they've been, you know, play-acting this hero-villain relationship, always just meeting for these big bombastic fights and arguments, but never really advancing either side. And Nimona shows up and she shakes all of that up because she wants to commit some real villainy. She wants to blow up things and steal things. And so Ballister, as the supposed villain, is going, wait a second, this is way out of my comfort zone. You want to, you know, take this way farther than I do. Um, You know, she even, like, on their first outing, actually kills one of the guards, one of the castle guards. And he's like, you know, I don't... (laughs) I don't actually condone that much violence. I'm a pacifist. I'm a villain, but I'm a pacifist, exactly. It starts out in this really deadpan, humorous place, but as the story goes on and you realize that the things that Nimona as a character said, you know, oh, this is how I got my shape-shifting powers. They came from a witch. They came from, 
you know, when my village was attacked, she just keeps giving conflicting stories about her past and you realize that she might not be telling the full truth and that you might not know at all what the full truth is. Um, and the story starts kind of escalating because what she sets in motion by making this hero versus villain struggle suddenly violent and suddenly meaningful, um, you know, becomes a power struggle for this whole kingdom. And what's fascinating about Nimona as a graphic novel is that at the same time that the story kind of starts in this humorous place and becomes more epic, at the same time, Noel, as a creator, started the project as a webcomic in art school Um, And then her own style sort of developed and matured as she was working on it. So there's this brilliant double layer sort of happening as you read it where the art style is becoming more mature and nuanced and the story sort of, you know, adding these layers. And I I remember in the the NPR review, they said it's possible over the course of reading Nimona to watch Noel Stevenson blossom from a student into a superstar. Um, And it's just really lovely how that dovetails with kind of what the story is doing thematically, too. Did you go to her? Were you aware of it? So I was aware of her art, and I'd seen it online, but actually her agent, um, Charlie Olson at Inkwell, he and I just ended up at a cocktail hour at the same time, and he said, do you ever do graphic novels at Harper? And I said, no, I don't. Why? What, what do you have? <laughs> and he said, You're supposed to say yes, Amy. I know, that's I know. Well, a lesson learned, right? Because he said, oh, well, that's a shame because I just I just signed up this this talented young artist whose work I saw online. And I said, oh, who is it? And he said, oh, it's Noelle Stevenson. And I said, whatever she has, I want to do it. I have to do it. I love her work. Um, so I remember he sent it to me, and it was just a there had been, I think, three chapters posted online at that point. The first, you know, and the first chapter was like two pages. So I think I had something like fifteen pages and a proposal for the rest from a you know person who was still in art school. And I took it to our acquisitions committee, and everyone said, "Are you sure she, this person, can even complete yeah, this?" Yeah, I was just about to ask, how was that acquisitions <laughs> yeah, meeting? Yeah, exactly. They they said, you know, we see why you like this. This is, you know, there's definite brilliance here, but. She hasn't finished something, you know, it's unproven. And I said, I, you know, I think this is going to be amazing. And that was three years before the book came. You know, it was three years from that acquisition meeting to when the book was finally coming out. Um, but and she, she just delivered. She delivered and she just, she her delivered. profile was bigger and bigger. And when the book came out, it was too much fanfare. Yeah, so. much fanfare, really strong fa- uh, sales, um, mm-hmm. you know, movie option, everything that you could hope for. Yeah, absolutely. Right? National Book Award finalist. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was like critical success, commercial success. And um, I just, you know, she's a genius. And I'm, I'm excited because we have more books under contract with yeah. her. We're currently working on um, the first in a new series that's called Four Wizards oh. that explores some of the same mentor-mentee relationships that I love so much in Nimona and is similarly very funny and, you know, a send-up of these fantasy tropes and at the same time this rich, thematic, character-driven story that, you know, I, I think Nimona fans are going to love it. That's, a, these are, that's a, just a great story. Now, when you first heard that there was interest in creating an audiobook from the book, what were your thoughts? My thoughts were, how do you turn a graphic novel into an audiobook? <laughs> you know, I, I thought I thought it's such a visual medium. Caitlin Gehring is, is a producer on our audiobook team, and I think she's incredibly smart. Um, and she also really got Nimona. We had talked about Nimona before, so the fact that she said, I, you know, I have a vision for how this could work, I thought, okay, you know, if a real Nimona fan is yes, excited about this and thinks key, that it yes. can work, then I think it can work too. 
Um, and when I approached Noelle and her agent, is that's kind of what I said. I said, you know, you have many Nimona fans here at Harper, and one of them happens to work on our audiobook team and has a vision for how this could look. And I think she had um, heard, you know, she ended up sharing with, with us the um, lock and key um, oh, right. audiobook, the, the, the Joe, Joe Hill. Hill. Mm-hmm. That's a multi-voice recording mm-hmm. with sound effects and every, you know, sort of similar exactly. effort. Yeah, exactly. And so, so knowing that it that it had happened and it might sound a little something like this, but it would be different. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we all kind of went, yeah, we we can see yeah, how this could come able, together. Yeah, you were able to suspend disbelief. Yep, and exactly. We're so and we're that so glad that we did. We did yeah. yeah. So I mean, so just so effectively, a a shooting script was created, mm-hmm. um, you know, with full approval um, from Noel, and it was cast, and it was you know actors reading multiple voices, and a full production, and we're so excited about it because I think it's going to be a similar story where it was like, oh, where once you just didn't do that type of thing. We're hoping that it now leads to more and more because do you get submissions of graphic novels every day of the week oh, now? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and I've signed up, I've signed up others and, and it's been so great. And, um, I, you know, now when I go to comics art shows where, you know, young creators, because that was another thing that Noelle was doing when she was in art school was that she was already going to these things like the Mocha Arts Fest, um, is, is a place where students in art school go and showcase their work. Yep. And so, so now I've been going to all those shows as you well have, and, and finding yeah. finding artists who maybe haven't completed a, a full-length graphic novel yet but clearly have a, a great idea and a character. Do you listen to audiobooks? I do, you know. So I, I won't say... I, no, no, no. I won't say lie. I listen to many, but, you know, I loved... Um, the author Ellen Kushner had an adaptation of her Tremontaine series that Neil Gaiman produced... And like Nimona, it was full cast, you know, yeah. with, with some sound effects and music as yeah. well. And I loved those um, because it really did, you know, it really did bring it to life in a way that it was almost yeah, like a radio I'm, play. I'm um, uh, more and more, I'm hearing a generational divide where where a certain generation ex- really does expect, you know, sort of multi voice mm-hmm, and sound mm-hmm. effects. The single voice narration. I heard somebody say, oh, the Harry Potter recording was kind of boring. <laughs> wow. Well, see, I listen to those. I love those crazy. too. But, but I think it's just because. I, I just think it's it's yeah. what is expected now. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, and I also, I mean, the other one I, I listened to recently and really loved was um, Felicia Day had her, her memoir, mm-hmm. um, You're Never Weird on the Internet, almost. Mm-hmm. And I bought that as an audio book because I love Felicia as an actress, and I kind of thought, this book is already like a pep talk from Felicia Day. Yeah. And I, <laughs> why would, I why personal, wouldn't I want that yeah, as, yeah, yeah. you know, her voice in yeah, my ear? Right. So I enjoyed that a lot, too. All right. Now, um... I want to talk to you as a reader, sort of beyond your professional life. What percentage of reading are you able to do for your for pleasure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, less and less. <laughs> it's right? the sad. It's the sad uh, I mean, paradox of enjoy... being an acquiring editor. Yeah. Well, I I do, and I, and I I have to say, like I I do read at least one published book a month often children's or young adult, because I feel like if I don't go back to that well of books that got me excited and got me into yeah. this field and, and say, you know, what are these people whom I really love doing? What, you right. know, what's their latest? What's, what's right. happening in the market? Then I lose sight of, you know, what I'm doing as an acquiring editor. I think it is really important for me to just be able to read a book without my editing hat on. Yeah. Um, 
every once in a while. And the occasional adult book. I mean, I don't, you know, like read exclusively. I'm excited, for, for example, for the Tana French book that comes out on Tuesday. Okay. We'll definitely be reading that. Um, All right. Well, can you think of, for pleasure, what was the last book you had a conversation about and what did you say? The last book I had a conversation about, well, I recently read a book called The Girl Who Drank the Moon um, by Kelly Barnhill. And that was, it's a middle grade um, novel. And I didn't have a conversation with someone else who'd read it, but I did tell my whole team, you guys just have to read this. This book is really great. Yeah. Um, and why? why? Why was it? That's interesting that you asked your team because you said, okay, this illustrates XYZ that mm-hmm. I find admirable and I, I want to share it with you. And Well, it's, it's so, you know, what's funny is that I end up, I say I read one published book a month. I buy far more published books a month, often because I'm going to readings or I'm going to a panel where one of my authors is in attendance. And so in support, I want to buy, you know, everyone's. And so what often ends up happening is that I will read one chapter on the train ride home from that panel and think like, oh, this is interesting. I should should read this when I have time, Mm -hmm. next time I have time. Mm But then sometimes that will happen. It'll be the girl like the girl who drank the moon, and I read that first chapter, and I read the next chapter, and I immediately read the next chapter, and I'm missing my bus stop on the way home, and then I'm you know getting home and throwing my bag down, and still have the book in one hand, and it was one of those. It was just one of those complete tightrope acts where the voice and the pacing and the magic. It is you know I'm I'm very much a a genre reader. I love things with magic in them, and this one definitely has unique magic and it just all came together so beautifully that I could not put that book down. That's great. All right. So Susan Sontag once said, I want to read only what I'll want to reread the definition of a book worth reading once. So I ask you, what books do you routinely reread? That's a great question. I read once a year Howl's Moving Castle, which I love that we published that at Harper, Um, you know, and that's a book that every time I return to it, I discover something new in it, but at the same time, it remains just as, you know, fresh. And, and that, that exact, with The Girl Who Drank the Moon, where I just, the second I start reading it, it's the world just disappears and I want to f- read it until it's done. Um, there's a, a more recent book that I've started, that I've read a couple times now, which is um, Rainbow Rowell's Fangirl. And it's a girl who goes off to college and has a twin sister who has told her, I don't want to be your roommate. I want, I think we need separate roommates and they're also fan fiction writers and, um, you know, in a world based a little bit on Harry Potter. And again, it's just that the, the way that rainbow pulls off that voice and the character Mm -hmm. you, Mm -hmm. you start reading and you, and you can't can't stop. stop. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this has been so interesting and helpful. Yeah, this thank was you fun for so me much. too. Thank Congratulations you. on your award. Thank Have you. a great time in Frankfurt. I want to hear all about it. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ana Maria. Thank you for listening. I'm Ana Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.